the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Remember who we're dealing with. Remember who we serve. Remember how he is. He's holy. And in light of that, prayer is a big deal. How big a deal? A very, very, very big deal. In fact, Spurgeon wrote this, and I really like this quote. Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Have you made prayer more complex than it needs to be? Or have you made it more simple than it should be? Well, hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. On today's edition of Grace to Live, Pastor Keith begins a teaching series entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we come before you this morning, uh, beginning a new series on prayer. And Lord, we want to look into your word and have you teach us to pray. Father, help us to uh, be about your business and help us to realize the importance of prayer, Lord, the essential nature of prayer. And Father, help us to access that valuable resource. It is a right, it is a privilege, it is commanded. So help us, God, to pray in accordance with your will. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many times have you heard someone say, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much? Or, pray without ceasing. You may, not have, you may have heard somebody say it. You may have read it in your Bibles. But sometimes we wonder, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? Am I doing it right? And those are good questions because they come from a heart that is concerned about doing God's business God's way. And with that in mind, and as people have spoken to me before, I thought it would be good to take up a series on prayer. So as we're praying for people that we might bring to church, as we're praying for circumstances and situations that might 
we might encounter at home, in the neighborhood, on the street, at the grocery store, or in the workplace, or in the classroom, we might have uh, a better way to pray. Uh, a lot of times people are afraid to ask the question, well, how do you pray? What is the right way? Well, hopefully in the next six weeks, we'll cover some of that. So today's message is entitled, Teach Us to Pray. It's part of a larger series, and today's message is the introductory message. We get the title from Luke 11, 1, where the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. They wanted to be taught to pray the way that John taught his disciples to pray. They'd seen Jesus going in and out for prayer, and they probably sensed there was more to it maybe than they had previously understood. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, Jesus gives his most extensive teaching on prayer. And so you you might want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking in verses 5 through 13. And we're going to learn from Jesus the model prayer and what that might mean for us. And so Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Listen to what Jesus says. And when you pray, notice it's not if you pray. So he's assuming everybody prays who follows him. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Prayer is something between you and God. It's not your chance to show how spiritual you are. That's hypocritical. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, when believers pray, when Christ followers pray, when God followers pray, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some translations say will openly reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. You know, the pagans, you know, you look at all these indigenous cultures and They have all these weird rituals. One of them is a prayer wheel where you write your words on a wheel and spin it. And the more you spin it, the more chance your prayers have of getting heard. He's like, don't be like that. It's not about the quantity of your words. It's about the qualities of your heart. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a lot going on there. We won't unpack it all today. But God always, already knows the future, past, present. He knows everything. He knows all of time, past, present, and future, exhaustively. He knows, he knows what you're thinking. He knows your thoughts from afar, as it says in Psalm 139. He knows a word before it's even on your tongue. So prayer is, more about, is, is about more than asking for things. Then he says this, pray then like this. It's important that word like there doesn't mean Just pray this prayer over and over and over again. Pray this prayer exactly. And you also see that he's not really focusing on when it says go to your prayer closet earlier. Go into your room and go into your closet and shut the door. He's not saying that's how you have to pray. He's just talking about the attitude is, is one of reverence for him and not praying. He's not telling you poses, postures, stances, things like that, which way you face, anything like that. He says, pray then like this. And I think we've all come in contact with these words that follow. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors. Some translations say forgive us our our trespasses and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors as we've also forgiven those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now many of you memorize this as children and depending on your faith tradition this might have been part of a liturgy Uh, And then there are some people who recite it like it's magic. You know, if you say it so many times, say 15, our fathers, and everything's going to be all right, and you're forgiven for whatever you've done before. What this is, though, is not a, this isn't, these aren't magic words. They're not uh, an incantation. Uh, What they are, are a model for us uh, to follow, an example of prayer. And from this model prayer, we often call it the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is really in John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer when he's praying to his father. This is the model prayer or the prayer for the disciples. You can call it the disciples' prayer. So what we want to do today is look into this. We want to look at this prayer over the next six weeks and learn from it so that we can put its principles into practice so that we might teach our children or our spouses or our friends or fellow Christians and hopefully we can take steps in so doing over the next several weeks to further enhance and promote the culture of prayer in this church. So what we're going to have is six messages organized around six statements from Matthew 6 uh, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. We'll talk about that the first week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's week two. Give us this day our daily bread, week three. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, week four. And lead us not into temptation, week five, but deliver us from evil, week six. And that's how we're going to proceed. Each statement is significant because each statement contains a principle, I believe, or, uh, or instruction on prayer. And the first statement is our Father who is in heaven. What we see here is his name. It's a term of endearment, our Father, a term of respect, his identity. He is the God in heaven. We also see that who he is is one who is to be honored, hallowed, treated as holy. Hallowed be your name. Consequently, even as a father, our Father, your Father, to whom we can cry, as the Bible tells us, Abba, Father, He is altogether like, unlike, excuse me, unlike any father you or I have ever known or seen on this earth. He loves us as a father does. And yet there's a sort of a terrifying aspect to this and an awe-inspiring reality because he's not like our earthly father. He is our father who is in heaven and he is to be respected and treated as holy not treated the way some of us as teens and uh, adolescents and even adults have treated our fathers. There's something big and giant and scary about him. And that's not a bad thing. We get, we get a sense of this that we shouldn't approach him haphazardly because it says our father who is in heaven. And this is reinforced elsewhere in the Bible in First Peter chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 we read this and I want you to see how this relates to prayer but he who called you is holy God is holy 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, here's a command, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then Peter kind of expands on this a little bit. And if you call him his father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Now what's going on here? Well, we know that we're exiles, right? Heaven is our home and we're just passing through. But there's a command here. He says, you know, be holy for the Lord your God is holy, essentially. And then he says, if you call him father, you know, you need to be careful of how you conduct yourself in general and implicitly, and I believe explicitly, toward him. So in, written in invisible ink, you might say, in, in this passage is, or are the words not so fast. And what do I mean by that? As you think, as you live, as you speak, as you act, as you pray, be careful, not so fast. Remember who we're dealing with. Remember who we serve. Remember how he is. He's holy. And in light of that, prayer is a big deal. How big a deal? A very, very, very big deal. In fact, Spurgeon wrote this, and I really like this quote. Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. And for those of us like me who have problems with TH, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. What does that mean? It means this, when you pray, there's a mystery there. Now, we know as mature Christians that God isn't a politician, he's not taking a poll, and we can't get a bunch of people praying for X, Y, and Z and get him to change his mind. You know, he's declared then from the beginning, he's determined what he's gonna do. Sometimes in scripture, there's anthropomorphism where God is expressed like man to condescend to our understanding, like he repented of making man, or he was sorry that he did this, or he's sorry that he did that, or Moses got God to change his mind. That's not what's going on there. That's just expressing God's will and decisions and actions in human terms. Yet there is a mystery here because prayer does activate at some level and unleash at some level the power of God. And that's why Spurgeon can say prayer is the slender nerve. Believe me, I've been reading lots about nerves lately and they are slender. That moves the muscle of omnipotence. Such a teeny tiny, almost invisible thing can affect the way a whole body responds to a situation or doesn't. And prayer in the same and similar way is this small thing by, done by a small person on a small planet in a small solar system that invokes or incites the power of God. So prayer is vital to a Christian life. And I would say, somewhat like a nerve and muscles, uh, prayer should be or become a reflex for a believer. Like breathing should be something we do naturally. At the same time, as, as I think about muscle memory, it should also be a discipline that we do over and over again to train our minds and our hearts, our bodies and our lives to respond to God appropriately. Prayer is an incredible resource that I believe none of us avail ourselves to as much as we could or should. I was reading an article and it really reminded me of me. I've lived long enough where I remember typewriters and dial telephones and 
something called a fax machine or or mimeographs and things like that you know and then along comes computers and technology and and we have all these wonderful software packages these applications you know Microsoft Word Excel Evernote things like that and I was reading that the average person gains a working knowledge of these technologies but only avails themselves to about 40% of the resources that these technologies offer. And so they miss out on a lot at work and at home, a lot of conveniences, a lot of abilities that these softwares bring. It's the same I would submit to you in prayer. It's in prayer. Prayer is something that we all do, I believe, as believers, but I'd, I'm not sure that we all do it as well as we can. And this isn't a performance thing so much as a gift from God. God enables us to connect with him, to come before the throne of grace, not based on who we are or what we've done, but based on what Christ has done. He wants to hear our prayers. Pray then this way, he wants to hear. And I think sometimes, like Microsoft Word or Evernote, we don't utilize this amazing resource as much as we could would, and, and prayer is kind of an interesting thing. What is prayer? You know, we're going to talk about that. We're going to ask and answer now five questions about prayer. What is prayer? The simplest definition that I can give you is, is that prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. Actually talking to the God of the universe. There are almost eight billion people in the world, but when you and I pray as believers... The God of the universe inclines his ear, metaphorically speaking, to listen. That's why it's such an incredible resource. It's a gift, it's a privilege, and it's a right, and it's a responsibility. We speak to God in prayer, he speaks back through his word. And prayer can be done in a number of ways, in a number of situations and circumstances. You really see that prayer is talking to God in the book of Nehemiah. And you also learn something else about prayer through Nehemiah. You can have lengthy and complex prayers. And you can dash off a quick prayer sometimes. And so let's look at this dashed off prayer in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5. And in so doing, let's understand that when you dash off a prayer to God, it's like writing a thoughtful thank you note. It's not that it's irreverent or it's hurried or it's trivial. It's that it's brief. It's the quality of your heart, the quality of your request, not the quantity of your words. Prayers can be long or short, but in Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5, we see that you can dash off a prayer in real time as you think and pray on your feet. Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5. Let me set it up for you. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's approaching the king with a request, which is a very dangerous proposition because if the king doesn't like your request, he can separate you from your head. And so he comes to the king and the king sees that his face is downcast, that he's bummed out. And the king, Artaxerxes, is getting bummed out. And you don't want to bum out Artaxerxes. He's not a nice guy. History tells us that. And so we read this. Then the king said to me, this is Nehemiah talking, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, 
if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And don't miss what's going on here. The king says, what's up? What's bothering you? What's wrong with you? What do you, what do you want? What are you requesting? He da- still haven't learned to snap my fingers yet. He dashed off a prayer and he answered him. So, you know, you can be facing your boss, facing hardship, facing a firing squad. And you can dash off a quick prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. Nehemiah is interacting with an earthly king in real time and the God of the universe in real time pretty much at the same time. Now, Nehemiah 1, 4 through 9, we see that prayer is still talking to God, but we see it can be a little more complex. As soon as I heard these words, this is Nehemiah talking about getting sad news from Jerusalem, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, speaking to God, so this is going on for days. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and you have not kept your commandments. The statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. So the people are in exile. But, I, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcast are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This is talking to God. And there's a whole lot going on. It's gone on over days. We see also in this prayer excerpt here that he's confessing sins, that he's hallowing God's name, that he's, caught, that he's respecting God, that he's humbling himself. And we see that prayer can be a quick prayer dashed off in conversation with an earthly king and a rather lengthy prayer dashed off, not dashed off, but given over days, over and over again to the heavenly king, the one, the true, the only, all-wise God, the king and sovereign of the universe. Now, there's something else that's going on here that I don't want you to miss because I'm asked about this from time to time. God listens to the prayer of the believer. I remember seeing a practice that used to make me shut, still makes me shudder, where you're sitting with a group of people and somebody asks an unbeliever, a non-Christian, to pray. Sort of evangelism by, I don't know what, by good and ill-informed intentions. But God does not hear the prayer of an unbeliever. When I say an unbeliever, let me clarify. You know, in, in Christendom, we get sloppy with our terminology and you'll say, well, this person's an unbeliever. Well, they believe in God. Yeah, but they believe in the wrong God. Or they believe in God, even the demons believe in shudder, but they haven't surrendered to God. And so, you know, words are the currency of, of, of thought, you know, language. 
And so when we say unbeliever, we mean somebody who hasn't entrusted themselves to Christ. And the Bible teaches us in a number of places that God doesn't listen to the unbeliever's prayer. If they're not born again, he's not going to regard the prayer. Now, they may pray in accordance with his will. That's good for them, but he's not necessarily answering his, their prayer. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.